1: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to the Highliner Foods Incorporated conference call for results of the third quarter of 2020. At this time, all participants are in a listen only mode. Following management's prepared remarks, we will conduct a question and answer session. Instructions will be provided at that time for you to queue up for questions. If anyone has any difficulties hearing the conference, please press the star key followed by euro for operator assistance at any time. This conference call is being recorded today, Friday, November 6, 2020, at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, for replay purposes. I would now like to turn the call over to Charlene Milner, Vice President of Finance for Highliner Foods. Ms. Milner, please go ahead.
0: Good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining the Highliner Foods conference call today to discuss our financial results for the third quarter of 2020. On the call from Highliner Foods are Rod Heppensdahl, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Paul Jewer, Executive Vice President and Chief Financial Officer. In a moment, I'll pass the call over to Rod for some remarks on our performance in the third quarter and the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on our business, before handing over to Paul, who will review the financial performance for the third quarter. Rod will then make some final remarks before opening the call up for questions. I would like to remind listeners that we use certain non-IFRS measures and ratios when discussing our financial results as we believe these are useful in assessing the company's financial performance. These measures are fully described and reconciled to IFRS measures in our MD&A. Listeners are also reminded that certain statements made on today's call may be forward-looking statements that are subject to risks and uncertainties. Management may use forward-looking statements when discussing the company's strategy and business in the future actual operating or financial results could differ materially from those anticipated in these forward-looking statements. Highlander Foods includes a thorough discussion of the risk factors that can cause anticipated outcomes to differ from actual outcomes in its publicly available disclosure documents, particularly in its annual report and annual information form. Please note that Highlander Foods is under no obligation to update any forward-looking statements discussed today. Earlier today, Highliner Foods reported its financial results for the third quarter ended September 26, 2020. That news release, along with the company's MD&A and unaudited condensed interim consolidated financial statements for the third quarter of 2020, have been filed on CDAR and can also be found in the Investor Center section of the Highliner Foods website. If you'd like to receive our news releases in the future, please visit the company's website to register. Lastly, please note that the company reports its financial results in U.S. dollars, and therefore the results to be discussed today are also stated in U.S. dollars, unless otherwise noted. Highliner Foods' common shares trade on the Toronto Stock Exchange and are quoted in Canadian dollars. I will now turn the call over to Rod for his opening remarks.
2: Thanks, Charlene, and good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for joining us today to discuss our financial results for the third quarter of 2020. I'm pleased to report another quarter of improving performance for Highlander Foods. Financially, we continue to make profitability gains as we shift the mix of our portfolio, expand new product offerings, and drive efficiencies from continued improvements across our organization. Operationally, we are fully dedicated to our customers and and consistently meeting their evolving needs, supported by our robust and resilient supply chain and relentless focus on health and safety. Our food service business continues to recover, and we are supporting our customer needs with our value-added products that are well-suited to the new operating environment. On the retail side, we continue to deliver excellent fill rates, generate margin improvements, and secure new business wins across North America. As North America grapples with an emerging second wave of COVID-19, customer and consumer demand has potential to fluctuate wildly. Never has prudent inventory management been more important. Our success in serving our customers and in generating increased free cash flow can be attributed to how we forecast and manage our inventory. Our improving cash flow is a strong vital sign for our business. It gives us confidence that we can comfortably support the dividend increase announced this morning while simultaneously investing in our business to fuel growth and continuing to reduce debt. We also remain confident that despite the ongoing challenges and uncertainty presented by COVID-19. We will deliver adjusted EBITDA improvements in 2020 and be able to go to market more aggressively in 2021 to generate top-line growth from our value-added business. I will be back shortly to share more on the opportunity ahead, but first, I will hand the call over to Paul to walk us through our financial performance for the third quarter. Paul, over to you.
3: Thank you, Rod, and good afternoon, everyone. Please note that all comparisons provided during my financial review of the third quarter of 2020 are relative to the third quarter of 2019, unless otherwise noted. Sales volume decreased in the third quarter by 5.5 million pounds to 54.7 million pounds. In our food service business, sales volume continued to be lower due to the impact of COVID-19 on our food service customers. However, we did see improvement in the volume trend in the third quarter compared to the second quarter. In our retail business, sales volume continued to be higher due to the increased demand related to COVID-19 partially offset by lost business in the fourth quarter of fiscal 2019 that continued to impact volume year over year. The decline in sales volume was partially offset by new business and new product sales. Sales in U.S. dollars decreased in the third quarter by $25.5 million to $194.6 million due to lower volume already discussed, as well as changes in sales mix. In addition, the weaker Canadian dollar in the third quarter of 2020 compared to the same quarter in 2019 decreased the value of U.S. dollar sales from our Canadian dollar denominated operations by approximately $500,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Gross profit decreased in the third quarter by $3.5 million to $38.9 million. However, gross profit as a percentage of sales increased by 70 basis points to 20% compared to 19.3%. Gross profit reflects the lower sales volume discussed previously, partially offset by favorable changes in product mix. Adjusted EBITDA increased in the third quarter by $2.6 million to $19.1 million. And adjusted EBITDA as a percentage of sales increased by 230 basis points to 9.8% compared to 7.5%. Adjusted EBITDA reflects a decrease in distribution expenses and sg expenses partially offset by the decrease in gross profit. In addition, the weaker Canadian dollar decreased the value of reported adjusted EBITDA in U.S. dollars by approximately $100,000 relative to the conversion impact last year. Reported net income increased in the third quarter by $6.2 million to $3.8 million and diluted earnings per share increased by 18 cents to 11 cents, sorry, increased by 18 cents to 11 cents. The increase in net income reflects the increase in adjusted EBITDA discussed previously and decreases in share-based compensation expense, business acquisition, integration and other expenses, and finance costs partially offset by an increase in income tax expense. Excluding the impact of certain non-routine or non-cash expenses and share-based compensation, which are explained in our MD&A, Adjusted net income in the third quarter of 2020 increased by $2 million or 51.3% to $5.9 million compared to $3.9 million the same period last year. And correspondingly, adjusted diluted earnings per share increased by $0.07 to $0.18. Turning now to cash flows from operations in the balance sheet, net cash flows provided by operating activities in the third quarter of 2020 increased by $30.8 million to $46.3 million, compared to $15.5 million in the same period in 2019, primarily reflecting favorable changes in net non-cash working capital and higher cash flows from operations, partially offset by higher interest and higher income taxes paid. The favorable changes in net non-cash working capital are the result of favorable changes in accounts receivable, inventories and provisions, partially offset by an unfavorable change in accounts payable. Net debt at September 26, 2020 decreased by $41.7 million to $286 million compared to $327.7 million at June 27, 2020, reflecting a decrease in short-term borrowings, a decrease in lease liabilities, and a higher cash-on-hand balance. Net debt to adjusted EBITDA was 3.3 times at September 26, 2020 compared to 3.9 times at June 27, 2020, 4.1 times at the end of fiscal 2019, and four times at the end of the third quarter last year. We expect that at the end of fiscal 2020, this ratio will be slightly higher than the ratio as at September 26, 2020 due to increased seasonal working capital requirements in advance of the Lenten period. We remain very confident in our liquidity position as a result of prudent cash management and the early refinancing of our debt in Q4 2019. We do not have any impending debt maturities and will continue to utilize our $150 million working capital facility if required. Borrowings on this facility, net of cash on hand, are currently nil. The dividend increase of two cents per share announced by the board this morning reflects our improving financial and operating performance and represents a 40% increase. It's certainly good news, and it was a decision made with great care by the board with due consideration to the ongoing impact of COVID-19 on our business. The increase moves us back closer to our traditional trailing EPS payout ratio. That concludes my financial review, and I will now turn the call back over to Rod for some final remarks before opening up the call to questions.
2: Thank you, Paul. Overall, our retail business in Q3 continued to trend in the right direction in terms of both new business wins and profitability gains as we increase sales of our higher-margin branded business, branded value-added business. As as I mentioned last quarter, more than a half a million new customers entered the frozen seafood category since the onset of the pandemic in March. In addition, frozen seafood is the fastest growing category in the frozen aisle and consumers continue to make more trips to the grocery store. Nonetheless, frozen seafood remains significantly under-consumed compared to other proteins. Market conditions are ripe for growth for highlighter foods, all signs are pointing towards health and wellness trends continuing, a prolonged period of consumers dining at home and turning to the frozen food aisle for more more frequently in search of delicious and easy to prepare seafood. To capitalize on this opportunity, we're focused on accelerating branded, value-added margin growth in particular. Our large, unprocessed seafood and shrimp business gives us a significant competitive advantage compared to others in the market, and we have the means and the scale on the side of our business. We have the innovation pipeline ready to go and we have the supply chain integration and efficiency necessary to support growth. And crucially, we now have the free cash flow available to support increased investments in our business to support us playing offense in the market. We're already driving ahead with increased social, digital, e-commerce and in-store marketing and promotion activities under our Seafood is Better campaign banner. We're pleased with the momentum generated during the quarter and this, just, this is just the beginning of a more comprehensive marketing campaign. On the innovation front, our latest value-added shrimp innovation has strong acceptance from retailers across North America. Our miso cod product is doing extremely well, and our snacking products are helping to show consumers the opportunity to turn, seafood, to, turn to seafood for any number of eating occasions. It's important to note that we see opportunity for branded, value-added innovation across various price points, maximizing our consumer appeal. From premium to value segments, there's an opportunity to leverage the scale of our unprocessed business to create higher margin wins for us on shelf. At the premium end, we have recently launched Sweet Bourbon Salmon under our Sea Cuisine label, along with a highlighter-branded pan-sear Parmesan herb sole, and we have a new brand branded value added product coming in the new year at lower price points under the catch of the day label. Turning now to food service side of our business, as you are aware, the industry as a whole remains challenging. And many regions of Canada and the U.S. are once again seeing restrictions or temporary closures of restaurants and casual dining. We remain focused on helping our customers through these challenging times. We are doing all we can to provide support and solutions to their many pain points. Overall, our food service business remains well positioned relative to industry thanks to the diversity of our food service business, the steady demand from our our institutional customers, the strength of our distribution network, and the solutions offered by our value-added products. We saw steady improvements in Q3 as a result of all of these factors. We also have been encouraged by the return of industry sales events and conference in a virtual format. We are using these events to showcase our repositioned food service offerings and target operator solutions. Our solutions driven approach is appreciated by our food service customers and has led to a number of sales wins during the quarter. We continue to carefully monitor regional COVID restrictions and adapt our forecasting systems accordingly. This allows us to be very targeted with our sales plans and pivot as necessary to support our customers. As with our retail business, we are gearing up now to support a fast start to 2021 with three new product launches. Two of which, our Alaska wild fries and buffalo shrimp, are successful value-added retail products that we have tailored for food service. I see a lot more potential for crossover like this as we grow our value-added offering in 2021 especially for products like these that are well suited for a takeout dining environment. To conclude, this quarter has provided further evidence of the progress we have made and that we are on the right track to deliver adjusted EBITDA improvements. We are ready to seize the growth opportunities in front of us and are moving forward with greater confidence, capabilities, and urgency than ever before. Our ability to do so rests on the hard work and dedication of our employees, especially those on the front line and we'd like to thank them for their hard work. Their health and safety remains our number one priority. I look forward to your questions. Operator, please start the Q&A period.
1: At this time, ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to ask a question, please go ahead and press star and the number one on your telephone keypad. Again, that's star one to ask a question. Your first question today comes from the line of George Dumont with Scotiabank. Please proceed with your question.
4: Yeah, good afternoon, guys. Um, You've done a great job on the margin side and on the free cash flow side um, in the last few quarters, uh, and especially recently uh, in the context of the pandemic. Uh, Can you maybe talk to volumes? uh, Can can we get to flat volume growth um, next year at some point? Uh, Maybe anything you you can talk to there would be appreciated.
2: Yeah, uh, George, number one, hello. Uh, yeah, we feel very confident about our ability to bring back top-line growth, as, uh, as outlined by uh, our free cash flow to support uh, increased and aggressive marketing activity. Um, the innovation we've brought to market, as we've talked about in previous quarters, our innovation is driving um, overall net growth for us. Uh, so we feel very good about our position as we head into uh, 2021. Certainly we have, uh, you know, a strong first quarter that we're going to overlap, but uh, the year as a whole, we feel very confident
4: about. Okay. Uh, Yeah, thanks for that. Uh, I think, Paul, you you shared with us last quarter that uh, the June food service sales were down 20%. Uh,
3: Do you have that number for the quarter? Uh, Yes, it is less than 20% in Q3. Um, We continue to see an improvement in food service volume as we moved uh, through uh, through Q3. The peak of the food service decline, as you'll recall from the last call, was actually April. Okay, so the exit number in the quarter was better than 20%? It, it,
4: lower than 20%, correct. Okay, so, okay, I just want to get a sense of they didn't improve throughout the quarter. I guess the answer is yes.
3: They, they did improve throughout the quarter. Um, now, obviously, we're watching carefully what impact there may be from uh, increased cases um, of, uh, of COVID and some increased shutdowns in that sector, um, but uh, we did not experience any significant um, uh, negative impact associated with that in our third quarter. Okay, great. Another question for you, Paul. On the quick cash flow, obviously a lot
4: of moving parts, a lot of working capital, uh, but can you maybe talk to working capital as a whole for this year and maybe even for next year? Uh, can you share with us some targets there?
3: Uh, nothing specific I would share uh, in terms of targets. Obviously, we're pleased with the work we've done uh, in particular on uh, inventory management um, and uh, very pleased that um, receivables uh, are in very good uh, a position as well, despite the negative impact, obviously, that some of our customers have experienced because of, uh, of covid uh, obviously, uh, for us, there's some seasonal fluctuation in working capital. I referred to that in terms of as we move into the, toward the end of the fourth quarter and through the first quarter. Um, but we believe we still have opportunity through some of our supply chain optimization initiatives to uh, continue to improve our inventory management as we look forward. So um, I, I think we can certainly sustain and hopefully ideally continue to uh, improve working capital as we move through 2021. That's great.
4: And my last one, maybe for Rod. Uh, leverage is coming down quite a bit. Um, I understand that there's working capital requirements uh, that you guys alluded to for Q4, but is it too early to have a discussion on M&A? And if not, uh, what channels or species do you guys feel like uh, you'd, gain more, you'd like to gain some scale in?
2: Like, yeah, I would say it's, it's probably a bit premature to have some conversation on M&A, uh, but uh, let's face it, the opportunity with uh, the reduction in uh, Provides us with uh, with ample opportunity for options, and we'll be certainly reviewing all options uh, that that you know come our way for again continued reinvestment uh, in the business, not only from a capex perspective, but from an aggressive marketing perspective to um, all options that would be available.
4: Okay, guys, thanks. Good luck.
2: Thanks, George. Thank
1: yep. You. Your next question today comes from the line of Kyle McVeigh with Carmark. Please proceed with your question.
5: Hi, guys. I just want to dig in a bit on some of the moving parts feeding your revenue trend, specifically the the lost contract from Q4 of last year. Was that a full quarterly hit from that contract loss last year, such that it's now fully lapped uh, entering Q4 this year? Or or is there still going to be some remnant year-over-year hit from that contract that we'll see in your next quarter?
3: there still will be some uh impact in Q4 uh it wasn't a uh it wasn't a full quarter uh but not as significant as we've seen thus far uh and i think the good news is what uh you know the last couple of quarters for us have shown is we're uh, getting much better at uh offsetting uh, any of that lost um customer business with um innovation uh new product uh rollouts uh and improved uh sales and marketing execution
5: Got it. And and on those those pockets of growth showing up, the, the, specifically the new product launches um, in, in past quarters, you've said it was tracking at kind of two percent year over year growth contribution. Was that also the case this quarter, or has it accelerated, decelerated? Any guidance on that moving part? Those new product launches would be helpful.
3: Yeah, no, very similar uh, impact uh, positively in the third quarter as there was in the uh, in the last quarter. So uh, we are continue to be pleased with the progress uh that we're making there still early days for some of those products uh opportunities for us certainly uh to uh, expand distribution further
5: got it okay and then on your gross margins you know a- among other things they've been benefiting from your your ongoing shift to more value added in the mix i'm also wondering if if channel matters for gross margin mix or value-added stuff tends to be higher margin regardless of the channel? And and the context for the question is really just me wondering if there's a gross margin mix shift will be impacted when Highliner presumably recovers some food service channel business next year?
3: Yeah, it it is less about uh, the specific channel. uh, To your point, it's more about uh, value-added versus commodity business, obviously. You know, our, our branded value-added products uh, provide uh, our uh, our most favorable margins, um, and so it would be uh, – we wouldn't be able to say it's a food service versus retail uh, comparison. Got it. Okay.
5: Um, and then you talked a little bit about the, the food service trend uh, throughout the quarter and by the end of the quarter. Can you give the same information on, on the retail side, the tailwind, the extent of the tailwind through the quarter?
3: Yeah, so uh, retail remained above the prior year, uh, but I would say marginally uh, above the prior year from a volume perspective in the third quarter. Uh, Certainly not the same kind of impact we saw in the second quarter uh, because of the particular you know months of April and May where there were significant increases uh, in the retail business. Uh, So you know we'll continue to monitor that mix between retail and food service uh, as. as we see the ongoing covid impact uh but uh you know pleased that we continued to see uh moderate growth in our retail business and uh an improvement in the trend in the food service business compared to the prior quarter
5: okay and then last quick one for me uh, can you offer any capex guidance for next
3: year uh yeah we're still working on finalizing our plans at this stage but you know suffice it to say it'll be quite a bit higher than it was uh, in the current year because of the fact that uh, we, uh, we hadn't managed CapEx down through COVID for obvious reasons. Uh, and our, our number was low in the year prior to that uh, as we were uh, uh, finalizing our, our debt refinancing and uh, continuing to focus on reducing leverage. We believe we'll be in a position in 2021 uh, to uh, increase our, back, our CapEx up to at least um, uh, historical levels, which it would be in the neighborhood of $15 million a year uh and we we will look for opportunities to invest beyond that number um given that we have uh, we believe we have the cash flow to support that the cash flow to uh continue to support uh the reduction uh in our debt uh and the cash flow to support the dividend so uh we'll have more perspective to give on that uh on our next quarterly call but uh would anticipate higher capex for 2021
5: okay thanks for that color that's it for me
1: Your next question comes from the line of Sabathat Khan with RBC Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question.
6: Uh, thanks and good afternoon. Um just wanted to follow up on the channel commentary that you just shared, Paul, around maybe retail not growing as much. I guess is it should we think of it as almost a negative correlation between your retail trends and food service because food service opened during Q3 a little bit more? Retail softened, and maybe are you seeing that reverse in Q4 during the second wave at all? Just some thoughts on the trends that you're seeing.
3: Yeah, yeah, I would uh, say there is some correlation clearly between food service and retail um, as food service. You know, uh, North Americans only eat so much, right? And so if they're eating more uh, in uh, food service occasions, then they're likely buying less at retail. So we did see some of that trend in the third quarter premature for me to comment, I think, on the fourth quarter, uh, other than, you know, to say, uh, you know, we're we're a month in and, you know, we uh, are uh, pleased with what we see thus far.
6: Um, Was there, do you think, perhaps, based on the data that you have, maybe some element of, you know, some pantry stuffing or freezer stuffing, for that matter, in Q2 perhaps, or was it probably more of a channel shift?
3: Uh, no, I think there was, uh, and Rod, Rod will jump in on this as well, I, I think there was some freezer stuffing initially, for sure, as there was across all frozen categories. Uh, but there definitely was some channel shift, particularly earlier in the second quarter, uh, because you know, food service, for some of the food service establishments, it really wasn't an option. They just weren't open. Um, I think uh, as we saw more and more uh, restaurants open, uh, we saw some... Uh, strengthening in that part of the food service business and I you know I'd be remiss if I didn't remind folks that um, that's only part of our food service focus we have a lot of uh, institutional and other business in food service which doesn't have the same uh, significant uh, change or variation that we saw in areas like casual dining
6: okay great and then um, just I guess on the last comment around the various subsegments of food service uh, can you maybe share some of the trends that you are seeing there? Maybe a bit more granular. I'm assuming the institutional stuff held in there. Uh, maybe some color there, please.
2: Yeah, I would say spot uh, Hello, uh, you're exactly right. Our institutional business uh, continued to perform very well, um, as did our our general broadline distribution business. But one of the other things that helped us uh, immensely is the new sales. Um, uh, targeting approach uh, that we put in play roughly 12 to 14 months ago. A very, very specific uh, targeting approach for customers. allows us to pivot uh, much more quickly and secure uh, significant wins with new customers uh, in the latter uh, months here of uh, Q2 and, uh, and certainly through Q3. So we feel good about uh, not only the, the current mix of customer base we have, but our ability to acquire uh,
6: new customers, and in, in much of it in a virtual uh, environment. Okay, and then uh, just a comment I guess in the MDNA and the press release around who are frozen seafood going faster or being the fastest growth category in the frozen food aisle. Have you seen expanded shelf space for frozen seafood, whether for the entire category or for yourself? Um, or has it been just the velocity that you're benefiting from?
2: Yeah, I would say there's a number of things in there, uh, its uh, I haven't seen any specific uh, repositioning of the frozen Isle from its current makeup. Uh, so for us, it is certainly uh, increased penetration with new product offerings, um, garnering new distribution within or filling distribution voids within our current product, uh, but also it's about new customer acquisition, and I can give you an example, a large uh, thousand uh, store chain in the southeast united states has just uh taken on our new shrimp product to be launched uh in the early or latter part of the first quarter so you know we're seeing uh again new customer acquisition um greater velocity on our products um and then certainly some channel shift uh is is, is happening as well right i mean if you think about the historical uh 50 50 split uh 51 food service 49 uh where the dollars are spent for retail you know, we saw that shift dramatically in April and May, and, and it certainly started to come back a little bit. But we're still going to benefit from additional placements, new new products, distribution gap fills.
3: And, and I would add, Saba, we're we're very proud of uh, our customer service levels and our fill rates through the last two quarters, uh, and you know, being in in position, uh, in stock uh, for. Uh, our retail partners, in particular, as they saw increased demand, we believe uh, certainly was uh, beneficial to uh, to our business through that period.
6: Okay, and then just a couple of quick ones for me, I guess. On that last comment, are you finding how are you finding the service levels across the industry? Is this sort of a market share capture opportunity for you, given your bigger scale in Canada, or are you finding fill rates are generally okay?
2: Well, so maybe I can uh, just give you some feedback. Oh, I'm sorry, Paul. Uh, maybe I can just give you some feedback um, that we're receiving from our customers, and that is. Directly related to what they believe are some of the best industry fill rates, um, you know, across the uh, the consumer aisle, right? So we're getting that feedback directly from our customers. We believe that that feedback uh, not only positions us in the short term to take advantages of any um, uh, you know, poor customer service levels across all proteins, but also certainly positions us for continued
6: future growth as we support our customers during these challenging times. Okay, and then this last one for me, um, I guess you there's some commentary around capital allocation thoughts around CapEx versus M&A, I guess. You know, I know it's a discussion for maybe next year when you actually maybe pull a trigger on just heightened CapEx or whatever, but what would you say are your focus areas? Is it more look for internal opportunities before you go external? Like if you had to prioritize, how would you think about it?
2: Yeah, I would say there's no question. Um, we are focused on uh, the opportunities that are directly ahead of us, and that's continued improvement in our base operations. I think we've done a fantastic job over the last couple of years in that. Um, and if you recall, we had five critical initiatives that we spoke about, um, and that all started with one hlf supply chain um, and allowing us to return to profitable organic growth. So that playbook still has significant runway for us, um, and we're gonna take advantage of the
7: operational efficiencies and organizational alignment that we've created to allow
4: us to go on offense. Good, okay, thank you.
1: Your next question comes from the line of Jonathan Ramley with BMO Capital Markets. Please proceed with your question.
7: Good afternoon, Paul. On the um, shift to value add products this year, do you have handy the uh, percent that's value add year to date versus last year?
3: uh I I don't have the exact number in front of me Jonathan it uh is up again in the third quarter uh compared to uh the third quarter in the uh in the prior year uh similar to the the trend we experienced in uh in Q2 uh and that's been very beneficial for us uh because it has allowed us uh to continue to uh run our plants uh at the capacity that we would be uh we would be looking for, Uh, the declines that we have experienced uh, in volume uh, have primarily almost entirely uh, been in uh, the the unprocessed or commodity business.
7: Okay, and I believe last call um, you spoke to about a 10 percentage point increase in that number year-over-year, year-to-date. I mean, this, this was kind of touched on earlier, but like how much, like how would you frame how much of that improvement is permanent, um, you know, versus how much is just kind of due to all the hard work you've done this year to shift products, uh, you know, around to uh, maximize throughput at the plants?
3: Sure. Yeah. So I think a, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I do now have the number in front of me. So uh, it. or 600 basis point improvement in the mix, uh, up from the mid 50s to the low 60s in terms of the manufactured business. So, uh, very pleased with that mixed shift. Um, In terms of sustainability of it, uh, our focus clearly is growing our manufactured uh, branded business. Uh, So, you know, we are working hard to continue to support that shift, although. Um, frankly, you know, we w- would expect that it will settle out a little bit, uh, just based on the fact that some of that uh, unprocessed volume will come back, and we want to be able to deliver uh, on that unprocessed business. While it, it, it will certainly be at lower uh, margin percentages than our value-added business, uh, it still uh, delivers gross margin dollars. Um, so. Um, you shouldn't expect to see it sustain as we you know, come out of the COVID period uh, at the levels that we're at exactly today, uh, but uh, you should expect over time for us to continue to focus on growing our value-added business at a disproportionate rate uh, and, therefore, uh, see that mix uh, certainly uh, uh, be better uh, over the course of that period of time compared to where it was a few years ago.
7: Got it. Thanks. Uh, And question for Rod, for the three new products you rolled through for retail and the two products that have been cross-pollinated from retail to food service, um, could you walk us through the introduction dates for those, sort of characterize where sales are today and how much potential for volumes there could be over time?
2: Yes, yeah, so Jonathan, I don't have the, uh, the specifics associated with the um, um, the products that have been uh, launched. I can certainly follow up with you, but the products that uh, I referenced in the sense of uh, uh, the sweet bourbon, uh, the pan-seared product, and so on. So those products are getting ready to launch in early 21. So uh, we're in the pre-sell process right now. So I'm not able to get into any detail as it relates to specifics a- around that. But given the... Um, uh, the, the success we've had around, uh, you know, selling in our stacking category, um, our sh- new shrimp launch has gone very well. Uh, we feel very confident that we have generated the competency uh, within the organization to effectively launch and support those products at retail. So I think we can probably
7: have a lot more discussion um, in subsequent quarters as those products hit shelves. Okay, that's great. So. If you were to, you you, you alluded, alluded earlier to how strong your pipeline of new product innovations is today. I mean, how would you kind of characterize that pipeline versus, you know, the plans you had pre-COVID?
2: Well, I would suggest, um, you know, if you recall, one of the things that we have done uh, over time, um, you know, roughly two years ago, we stated that we were going to take advantage of one of Highlander's many historical strengths, and that is, uh, reinvigorate our innovation engine. So that innovation engine not only comes in new product innovation for the entire enterprise, it also comes in innovation from the standpoint of bringing products that have historically been um, in Canada uh, and bring those to the United States, or United States and bring those to Canada. And an example of that would certainly be our pan-seared product, but it specifically relates to um, uh, what I would call as uh, enterprise-wide new product development. Um, I feel very confident in the pipeline we have. Um, as you recall, we launched a, a snacking platform, uh, quite frankly, for the seafood industry. We've got a stable of products that will be uh, coming to market in the appropriate sequence. That's not only new types of products, but that's expansion of the existing platforms. So, um, you know, the, one of the, the benefits about our portfolio is uh, we have an opportunity to innovate uh, quite frankly, I think the widest level of innovation in the industry, everything from value at, from a value uh, positioning all the way through to a premium offering um, in the grocery store shelf or certainly within our food service. So that helps us certainly when consumers are looking for value. We can continue to support their need for value, not only in our existing portfolio but uh, with innovation, but also any of those consumers who may buy um, you know, up and down the spectrum.
7: Okay, and a last question, uh, you mentioned, in response to one of the other analyst questions, there's still a substantial runway from the supply chain playbook remaining. Can you give us some hints as to, uh, you know, what initiatives you're thinking about um, and, and maybe whether these are ones that were shelved from the pre-COVID period or ones that are just, you know, you're continuing to develop over recent quarters?
2: Yeah, I don't know if I can get any specifics, but I would tell you this our mindset is, is one of continuous improvement. So when I speak uh, of a uh, runway, um, I would suggest that uh, that is absolutely about how we approach uh, all aspects of our business. So, you know, we're going to look to continue to improve um, all the way from our procurement to uh, delivery to our customer. Um, and so consequently, uh, you know, the, one of the biggest portions of our business certainly is our, is our manufacturing footprint. Uh, we're focused, as we mentioned earlier, around spending um, CapEx levels that we haven't been able to get to in the last year or two to improve uh, those, uh, those opportunities. And as Paul mentioned, uh, we are in a position, should we find other opportunities uh, to create value,
4: we'll spend uh, additional CapEx where needed. Okay, thanks for your comments.
1: there are no further questions in queue at this time I turn the call back to the presenters for any closing remarks
2: thank you we appreciate you uh, participating in a call and look forward to speaking with you in February when we release our full year results thank you
1: and this concludes today's conference call thank you for your participation you may now disconnect